everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. So hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. Today, I am truly honored to have Dr. Dwight Pecora of Fort Bend Dental in Missouri City, Texas with me to talk about all things culture index. And the very first thing that I want to do is kind of give my very abbreviated knowledge of Dr. Pecora's background um, to kind of explain why he's so amazing and incredible and why he is or can be considered um, kind of an authority on this topic and has taught me so much about it. Dr. Pecora, as far as I know, I, I stalked your, um, your website a little bit just to get this information. <laughs> um, Dr. Pecora received his doctorate of dental surgery from the University of Texas in Houston Medical Center. And his postdoctoral training included a fellowship, mastership, and diplomat with the International Dental Implant Association fellowship with the International Academy of Facial Aesthetics and a prestigious honor as a fellow of the International College of Dentists. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Bacora was also nominated as the 2015 dentist, I'm sorry, Texas New Dentist of the Year. He is a member of the American Dental Association, Texas Dental Association, Greater Houston Dental Society, and there's a lot more that goes on um, in um, you've accomplished a lot in your career, Dr. Pecora. Um, currently, as far as I know, practices general dentistry as a partner at Fort Bend Dental Associates in the Sugarland, Missouri City suburb area of Houston, Texas, and also happens to be a culture index survey guru. Mm-hmm. So much for being here. Is there anything important that I missed? No, I think, uh, first off, thanks. Always an honor to get to, first off, hang out with you, and then secondarily get to just chat about the stuff that like makes our world go round, right? Um, people often ask me what it is that I do. And usually the first thing I say is I build teams. Um, they just happen to do dentistry. Right. And I think one of the most difficult things for a lot of us to understand is we get so pigeonholed in running dental practices or doing quote dentistry or doing quote hygiene that we end up kind of locked into saying, well, this is what we do in our industry. When in reality, if our focus should be building teams, then everything else falls right into place. And that's really what true leaders within our industry do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's really what the main focus is that's attracted me to something like Culture Index. I've actually used it within three different industries. I, I ran um, two other types of companies in computer programming and uh, labs. I ran a couple of international labs. And um, those entities, I use these, this, uh, this method um, as well on those. And it helped me kind of build the right kind of teams and interact with each other. And so that's where my passion has built up over the years with some experience, but really to apply it in different worlds has been kind of the fun part. But yeah, no, first off, just thank you for having me. It's just kind of fun to get to chat and talk anything and everything to this incredible following that you all have. Oh, thank you so much for that. And um, before we really dive in, I do want to provide some brief context and a very simplified Summary of what Culture Index survey is, and then of course I'll have you kind of elaborate with your experience. Um, So Culture Index describes culture and index. So culture first, people with the shared beliefs and practices, of course, right? A group of people whose shared beliefs and practices identify their particular place, class, or time to which they belong. Um, They have shared attitudes, so a particular set of attitudes and characterize a group of people. Um, culture overlies civilization, which is a society, a way of life, a lifestyle, traditions, customs, habits, ways, mores, and values. And then index is, you know, the sign, indication, indicator, measure, signal, mark, evidence, token, clue, or hint. So culture index, essentially, as I understand it, is um, assesses company work culture, first and foremost. So more simply stated, like departments and or companies tend to establish their own culture by the people within them, 
Um, whether it's a dysfunctional department or a streamlined company, the sum of the parts are the people that make up the given entity, kind of like what you were just saying. Right. Um, culture index program survey can determine uh, an individual practice or uh, business's culture and the types of people to hire that will maintain, enhance, or change the environment within that organization. So yeah. culture index kind of asserts that traits are inherent. Studies indicate that our traits start to cement between the ages of eight and 12. And after that, they become quote unquote ingrained. And therefore, you know, if you demonstrate certain traits by age 12, for instance, the conduct will remain intact until you're age 82, even when you're age 82. So um, what culture index really helps us to determine is how we can alter or modify our behaviors in certain work environments and situations and how that could be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, or not we have to or want to, we can, we can oftentimes just be unaware of changing our conduct to fit the people we're with or the environment that we're in. And if we find ourselves in situations that are stressful to us, it's the unconscious telling ourselves mentally and physically that maybe we're in a demanding situation or that this isn't an effortless fit for us, which can be a really great tool, right? A really great gauge if it's used appropriately. Right. Um, we can all attempt to modify our behaviors to fit the criteria, but just how long we can sustain the change without focus and interest levels waning is a question mark. So we might feel it coming on in some of our current positions, right? So when was the last time you felt uncomfortable or stressed? You know, we can all think about in, this, in our work environments. What was the occasion? How long did you have to maintain that modification or the modified behavior in the situation that you were in? And what did you have to do? after you left the given situation in order to recover, basically. So little do people realize that stress or burnout is caused by having to maintain a person's behavior to fit in a given environment for long periods of time, right? right. If you're, for instance, an inward, private, shy person working amongst, quote unquote, gregarious others in an open and loud work environment, you know, how do you think that's going to feel? And how do you think you're going to operate in something like that? Yeah. And similarly, you know, what if you're a hard charging independent person that's being micromanaged every hour of the day? And there's so many examples that we can give um, of just maybe someone who is really highly skilled and has a really might have really great attributes and qualities traits that just aren't being used because they're not being tapped into. They're not they're not in the right position, perhaps. So exactly. um, have to do with about with the with the fact that about 30 percent of our energy can be spent on modifying our behavior in order to meet the needs of our job. So is it any wonder that, you know, if we're people who are maybe in the wrong seat within our organization or our department, that we might feel easily frustrated or fatigued, right? Yeah, that's it. I mean, what an incredible summary. I mean, I think a lot of people struggle with the idea of adding another personality test to the right. docket because we've all had jobs where it was like, hey, here's your disc. And we run the whole company based on disc. And we, you know, here's this Myers-Briggs or you know, whatever animal you are, what, you know, all these other things. And the truth is, is that fortune 500 companies and just large multi-departmental, multicultural, multinational entities use this type of data because what it does is it creates all, uh, the level of accuracy that we all wish the others gave us, right? A lot of the other personality tests basically allow the individual to say who they want to be at work but not who they naturally are. And um, the, the data on this really relies, I mean, I, I think the next closest is like Myers-Briggs and then there's a disc profile height in there. They tend to be somewhere between 23 to 26% accurate, right? When in reality, uh, notoriously, culture index comes out to be 92 to 94% accurate. Why do we, why is it that that happens? Well, the truth is it's, it's almost the concept of leading questions, right? Culture index, when you take the survey, it's like a six minute survey, maybe max. It's a bunch of words that are on there and it doesn't necessarily give you a bunch of questions, right? We were taught in academia where it's like, here's the question, you have to give us an answer where you basically are picking things that relate to you, those that do, those that don't. And it, the data is collected, not just on what you pick, but also on what you don't pick and how they interact. And that's what's made it a little bit at a very high level subconsciously allows you to really give the freedom to say who you really are. And so I've had some incredible individuals like, like uh, if you were at the summit, uh, KK, um, who works with Tony Robbins, things like that. She says, we did her culture index not too long ago after the summit. And she made this comment. She says, I've always been told I was an extrovert because that's who I needed to be, to be successful, to be on stage, to be hanging around Tony Robbins. 
But in reality, <laughs> culture index is the first time I've ever been told naturally who I am and who I want to be. And she tends to be actually an introvert. She's got great energy. She mm-hmm. can get up there. But then there's the reset of like what's next. And, and that's, that's what really helps us understand. It. And this is why people use it at a very, very high, high level. And so I think you did a great summary there of kind of how it tends to feed. But we use it, especially in dentistry, the interactions between doctors and hygienists and assistants and team, like to really make sure we lower turnover, because I personally believe that it is our job as a company to make sure that everybody gets the chance to wake up every morning, want to be naturally who they are meant to be. And they're right between six and eight to 12 years old, right in that time frame, a lot of these things are cemented into you. And we can all try and be someone else. And we can all work in a super extroverted environment and feel that we have to be when in reality, we're just not. That is where we really struggle. And I, I would really advise us to really think about being a part of our team or in hygiene as we lead our patients, as we lead um, e- each of us together as part of the department, we say, how, how can we back up and say, I want to be this person. I want to work in this environment every single day. And we don't get drained and hate our life by the time Thursday comes or the time when the end of Wednesday comes. How do we do that? We have to be allowed to be who we want to be and not somebody else. And that's what this data really gives us. Yes, absolutely. And I want to point something out about the traits portion in that age um, kind of bracket, because I think some people who are familiar with our, our belief in growth mindset might think like, oh, are you saying I can't continue to grow and develop or can I not continue to evolve as a person after age 12? Like that's, that's definitely not what we're saying here, right? So um, inherent traits, like who we are inherently is different than things that we can learn to do or um, th- things that we can evolve into is different, you know, like these are are inherent. It's not like the external kind of like, are you interested in basketball or not? Can you learn to be good at basketball at a later age? Of course it doesn't do with your inherent traits. Maybe the fact that you have an interest in basketball in general is based on your inherent trait, but can you or can you not is based on your decision to learn and grow in that particular aspect. So it's absolutely not um, subscribing to fixed mindset at all. It's just kind of like, we have to accept at some point, like there's a natural growth and development and there's like a natural waning of that inherent growth and development. And then we continue to grow and develop in other ways. I, I love that you bring this up because I think this is the most, the biggest misconception where a lot of people just write off the information because they freak out. Right. And the truth is, is you're, you're so smart to recognize the components between one and the other. I'm, I was trained to do surgery, to do an all on X procedure. And I can interlace papilla and make them perfect or, you know, rebuild something. And it's a high level of detail. Well, according to my culture index, my inherent desires are the least trait that I have. The smallest, lowest trait that I have is detail. I details are completely irrelevant to me. In fact, conformity rules and regulations are completely irrelevant to me, but I was trained to be a surgeon in order to care for my patients. I'm really good at that job. In fact, most people would be like, when they hear that I'm a low detail person, they're like, how is that even possible? I've seen you in surgery. You train surgeons. No, that's, that's different. That is learned behaviors. But if I'm in a completely different environment, my natural response to something is to not worry about the details as much, but to move forward, to hit a gas pedal and just let's get through progress over perfection. That's a lot about my natural traits. And so I kind of need to develop those traits in order to establish my detail orientation or things to that degree. So you're right. We all grow and there's nothing wrong with that. And that is the essence of abundance. But I think the most important thing is learning yourself and knowing thyself is the best way to protect yourself and to also serve other people, right? Whether this is at the office or this is in, uh, in friendships or in marriages or relationships, the most important thing is, is you want the other person that you're interacting with to understand you as who you naturally are and how you react to difficult situations. And if they don't understand you at that level, then it's, it's a struggle to help yourself represent yourself. And sometimes when you know you're going to react poorly to something because you know yourself, you'll back out of that and you'll thus protect the other people, right? I've got a tremendous amount of energy. I'm super, you know, extroverted. Well, most of my administrative team that I work with that helps run operations, guess what? They're introverts. They're at work to work. They get a lot of stuff done very quickly and in very high detail and get it right. But guess what? I walk in and I'm like the golden retriever who's like, here's 
10 ideas. I'm everybody's friend. I met this person at Starbucks. I want you to hire them. And they're like, no, we've got a system. We've got a process. You get out of the way. You're not included in this conversation anymore. We love your energy. Or I walk into my director of operation. I'm like, I got 10 things I want to tackle like right here, right now. And she's like, great, pick two. We'll work on those next week. Next week, if you still remember some of the other ones, we'll still consider the next two. It's kind of like, bring it down about a thousand, Dwight. You see what I'm saying? And so that is how we learn to support and serve each other, which allows me to be responsible for how I act while at the same time, help others feel like they want to work with me, right? And go down that right. right, right. Yeah, so the way that I think of it is like a measuring, it's basically learning how to best do more with less and best operate in a position that aligns with our inherent traits. It's about empowering us to do our best work in, in the most comfortable environment that we possibly can. Uh, a thousand percent, a thousand percent. And I'll tell and you what, of the traits that come up, just to give you one, one caveat to this, because you and I are really similar. And one of our main caveats to the traits it gives you, it gives you autonomy. So personal drive, it gives you your sociability aspect, introverted, extroverted, ambivert, kind of in the middle. It, it also gives you data on pace or patience, right? Um, you and I tend to be, you know, we struggle with that patience piece and all those components. And then there's a detail orientation or conformity to rules. That's there. Then it gives you three other categories that to me are the most interesting. And it's the best way to like follow up with what we just talked about, which is there's a logic trait, right? And then there's an inventiveness um, and ingenuity trait. And then there's energy units, right? So the one that I love to talk about is where you and I tend to live is that lower logic, right? You and I, for example, our, our profiles tend to be lower logic, right? So being on that lower logic scale, that means that our heart and everything, like we have to bleed to like support something. Something can be given to us. We're given all the literature, all the information. And if our heart doesn't believe it, guess what? It doesn't matter, right? If we're not in it 100%, then that doesn't matter. When you've got other people that are super high logic, they might be super, they almost come off cold to you and I, right? Because they're just like, well, these are the facts. This is what we follow and we go through. These are some of the areas where I see the most conflict between people because they don't realize that logic is not the way the world runs and uh, just pure heartfelt decisions is not the way the world runs. It's actually somewhere in between. And what I like to say about things like that is, People always say the world isn't black and white. It's, and most people would stop and say, well, it's gray. And the truth is, is no, it's actually colorful. Look around us, right? And so the truth is, is it takes all of us, all our traits, whether high, low, and all these categories to be able to create the right team. It's not like there's a type of profile that has to be a hygienist and a type of profile that has to be. In fact, that's not the case. We don't build them based on profile templates. Actually, build them based on each other and how we interact and support your your weaknesses, your strengths, and kind of balance those things out. And that's really what makes it successful. Yeah, hundred percent. Thank you for giving that kind of elaboration on the different dots too. I don't know how necessary it is to go into like each traits. Like, I don't I don't know if you really want to take that deep dive of like, oh, this A dot and the you know the the red dot, the yellow dot. How do well, you doing that? A lot of people will go in and be like, well, what is culture index? And they'll get some stuff online and they'll look at it. And it's like, it's, it's complex because it gives you a series of dots in regards to this red arrow. But the biggies are this. If, if you have a certain, think of it this way. If you're hiring somebody for your team or you're adding somebody to your hygiene department, you've got a new hygienist that's going to be added to your team. And most of us work in some of these environments where there's abundance mindset, which means your department's in charge of adding that person to your team. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're going to take them out to lunch. And if they're fun and interactive and gregarious, great, let's hire because they look like they're going to interact well with us. So that's all we get. They're going to be our friend and we move on. Well, that's not the kind of traits that we really want to balance out. So if you, if you have everybody's culture index on and we've indexed the team, the people on that team, well, great. Then we're looking at it and saying, we tend to have higher driven people that are like, if the autonomy, the red dot is higher, that means that we're very, very driven, very individually driven. Meaning if nobody else is making the decision, we'll make the decision all on our own. If we need to, we'll make the jump, right? If it's below that red arrow, then that tells us, and it's a lower trait. That doesn't mean you don't have the desire to drive. That means that you want to move as a group. Meaning the whole department wants to move together. We don't want to leave anybody behind. But once somebody in leadership or somebody around you has said, hey, this is where we should go and everybody agrees, then you'll carry it and you'll lead it right through. It doesn't mean you don't have drive. It just means 
that's that piece. So that's that red dot. And you can imagine how important that is to selecting somebody that if you've got a pretty consistently kind of, we're all about the team and you bring this super high power driven person and you drop them in the middle, those are the ones that are like, wow, we hired this person literally it blew up. We lost like three hygienists after we added this one person. That is a very obvious example of that, right? Um, the next dot is going to be that yellow dot and that's that sociability dot. Um, in some ways, it's purely extroverted versus introverted. And if you're right on the line, it'd be more of an ambivert. But I think what really matters is that sometimes in our profession, we get overly caught up with, well, we're interacting with new people every day. Therefore, you have to be social to be successful. And I say that's actually not the case at all, um, especially incredible hygienists like yourself and other teams like that, where they have assistants and team that they work with to get the care done. I'll give you an example. I have an uber obsessive compulsive endodontist who is super introverted. So he's about the team, lower dot, introverted, but he's super high detailed and systematic. Well, guess what? He does some of the best root canals I've ever seen in my life. Well, what happens is he's so introverted that he gets bogged down on his clinical care because he has to interact with all these new patients. So we attached him with an incredibly gregarious and extroverted assistant. Well, guess what? That assistant brings in the patient. He's kind of like the host, right? Interacts with them, ends up talking about the top 20 things going on in that patient's life. And then the, the endodontist comes in and they stand outside the operatory. They do not go in. That assistant comes out and says, hey, by the way, next week. So they tell them one of the 20 things, the most important Next week, they're actually going to Disney World and taking their kids for the first time, FYI. And they go all back in. Uh, the second that endodontist walks in, all they say is, is hey, how are you? Um, uh, I hear you're taking your kids to Disney World. I'm so glad. That sounds exciting. Let's go ahead and get this retreat done on tooth number 14. The second that he says the name Disney World or let's go ahead and get this done, that assistant's already pushing the automatic button for that patient to start leaning back and falling back in the chair because we're done with the social interaction. Like we're moving on. And the crazy thing is you go and you look at the Google reviews and you say, oh, I had such an incredible connection with my endodontist. No, you didn't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you did. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's about the team. And this, yeah. this reflects to a scenario that often we struggle with and not understanding um, that we fall into this idea that we have to be gregarious. No, our team has to be able to manage the patient how they want to be managed. And, and at the end of the day, if we can cover all the bases through our team, we're going to be successful. And so that's where that social aspect really comes in on a clinical standpoint that I think is incredibly important. Um, the next one relates to patients and that is kind of, it's also task oriented in speed, right? So pace as we call it. So the blue dot relates to, am I a really patient person? If I'm to the right of that line, that means I'm super patient. And I also believe in systems and processes, meaning if the bonding agent says it's going to be step one, then two, then three, then four, then five, I always go in that order. Whereas if it's, if you're impatient and you're fast paced, meaning to the left of that line, that blue dot tells me that it's kind of like me. I may start at step three or four and then see if one and two are even relevant and then maybe come back and kind of go all over. But my idea is to go faster and just, just go forth. And so that, that's kind of a big part of the clinical process, right? Uh, the green dot relates to detail or conformity to the rules. Um, uh, if you're to the right of that line, that green dot means that rules matter. And that the detail, getting it done right matters, meaning you may be up uh, in the middle of the night thinking back, oh my gosh, should I get the back of that tooth number 15 and the distal lingual margin? Did I actually get that calculus off? Because it was even noticeable on the x-ray. And I'm like, oh, how, how did I wake up thinking that? And that's that obsession with detail getting it done right. Whereas if it's on the other side, like for me, it's my lowest trait. My wife tries to just get driven crazy by it. Stop signs and red lights are kind of a suggestion to me, right? Like these types of things are extreme, right? But I just kind of want to flow and go because to me, progress is more important than just the perfection of getting everything done. Again, like we talked about before, you can be trained for it and do things really well clinically, but that doesn't mean they don't matter. They just mean that they're not inherently important to me as they are for others. And that can frustrate people that are really high detail orientation. Um, the last three, again, the logic trait, like we talked about super high logic, you need data and information, make a decision. If it's lower, your heart has to believe in it. You have to gut believe in it. And, and for like Brittany, for you and I, like we struggle if we love to say, well, I feel this is the right decision. Because we do. And if we do, man, we're all on it, right? But for other people, they're just like, 
what do your feelings have to do with this? And I'm right. like, well, they have everything to do with it for me, right? But in reality, for them, it's like, well, I gave you all the literature in the stack. And did, did you read all? Because that's really all that matters. And I'm like, no, there's got to, we're humans. There's got to be a human component in all this. And so the average is normally four to six. Anything above that comes off kind of cold. Anything below that almost gets overly emotional. And we can fall into that trap of just being like, oh, we can't logically get ourselves out of that hole. Whereas those in the logic state, they just come off so cold that um, like if you have an office manager that's super high logic, you can be rest assured that they will, they have to be coached very, very well, or they will burn some serious amounts of relationships because they're like, I told you what it was and you didn't do it. So you got to get out of here. Like there's no compassion, there's no flow. And so there's, there's kind of got to be some type of scenario there. The ingenuity thing, the average is like zero to three. Um, most Americans and most people around the world don't tend to like have a desire to make change and constantly change. Um, but there's some of us that are, are passionate about like change every day. Um, so if the average is zero to three, I, I'm the weirdest profile. Everybody makes fun of my profile. So like I'm an eye of nine. So I don't even like driving to work the same way. Right. I don't like going to the same Starbucks. Like I, I like change. I like, so sometimes I'm not just the CEO of my company. They call me the chief disruption officer because I come in, I'm like, Hey, this has been going great for like three days. Let's change it. Right. It's like, stop, step, the, step away. Like, what are you trying to do? Not right? broken. So, so let's fix it now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, everything's <laughs> working so well, but it's boring. Got to be, right. So it's like, we'll go be bored somewhere else, go do something else. But the fact that my team knows that about me, they come to me when they need a new idea that nobody can come up with a solution. And it's just got to be in just ingenuity all the way down and trying to figure it out. When in reality, they don't bring me into something that's like, oh, great. This has been running great, consistent, no problems. Let's make sure Dwight never walks into that room, right? Like there's, this is just how it works because you want to find a new way to do it. And that's very disruptive, right? So you got to be conscious of that. The last thing is the energy units. And I think this is critical because to know, I can look at most of these profiles because um, there's a top box, which is your natural traits. And then there's a secondary box, which is who you are at work. And the goal for every company is to make your lower box look like your upper box. What that really means is that every year my team retakes the test. Um, they retake the survey and their upper stays the same. And the lower actually gives us a lot of data on, are we doing better in giving them more autonomy when they feel micromanaged? Um, are we giving them a chance to balance out their social aspect? Are we giving them a chance to really kind of fruitfully do their details or do what they need to do? And one of the things that really points it out as to whether somebody's going to leave the company or is just burnt out on a personal level or at work level is the energy unit. So energy units is kind of like the amounts of tanks of gas you wake up with every day. And so if on average in the United States, it's like 28 to 30. So 28 to 30 tanks of gas, you wake up every day. So if your top one says you have 28, great. You're on average with the average part of the American as far as energy. And depending on your lower graph, if it's super different from who you naturally are, guess what? You'll probably burn out all those energy units before like 10 AM, right? If it's extreme, if you're a super introvert and you're having to do all these extroverted, like I, I told Craig one time, I said, Hey man, I know when you throw social media or Facebook live in front of the face of your team at morning huddle, you're burning out your introverts and they have nothing left to actually take care of your patients, right? So you gotta be very cautious. There are some people you can bring to the front, but some people wanna be appreciated in private. Some people wanna be appreciated in public and there's kind of this balance, right? So the energy units show how much you burn out. And um, it's really important to realize that if you have good boundaries and you protect yourself in a personal life and at work life, and you kind of tell people where you're at, right? I've had people on my team who say, hey, I'm, I'm done. I know it's like 10 o'clock in the morning, but something's going, like I've had too much coming in, right? Pop tire, kid cried, didn't sleep, had this situation, husband issue, whatever, life happens. And I, that's before I even got in the office. Like those are the things we need to step back and recognize. Um, and you've got to tap out before you create drama or implode, right? Which affects other people, right? Um, yeah. And so we've got to be conscious about those things. And so when the number on the energy units on the lower graph is too high, higher than you naturally are, then you're naturally burning out and you won't be able to sustain that job long-term. And so that's why all this data sounds like a lot and I don't want to you know, burn people out on it, but it's, it's important. You can see how every trait really can make or break uh, your affiliation to somebody on the team or how this works. 
That was very helpful, actually, I think. Uh, so I spent two days becoming certified or whatever and being able to read and interpret this index. But I think that was a really, really helpful overview for anyone who has completely never seen the dots before. Like you for that insight. Um, I want to know a little bit more kind of about what your hiring process looked like within your practice prior to using culture index versus how you've implemented using culture index and hiring people now and how that's impacted kind of your team dynamic. Right. Um, Easily speaking, I mean, it's completely transformed, right? So initially I did what everybody else did was like, we try and put our best foot forward, right? And we try to be like smoking barriers and make it, our practice look amazing. And most of us have incredible groups and teams that people want to join, but it's like, hey, you look fun. You look great. Like I said earlier, like I was at Starbucks and I'm like, hey, I need a gr- another greeter at the office and you look like you got it together and you look awesome. Like, hey, come on over. Don't you want a job? And in reality, um, I didn't really pay attention to traits. I just paid attention to their sociability, their energy, whether they're ready to go or not, um, whether, you know, the practical things, did they show up to the interview energetic? Did, how do they interact? And that, unfortunately, is very dependent on who they interact with at that time. They interact with people like me or Craig, like, guess what? They're interacting with golden retrievers. So everybody loves us. We love everybody. Like we're, we're a really bad gauge of who to hire. Right. But on individuals, like maybe they got in with another person and they're shadowing a mentor or a leader on your team. And guess what? That individual had a bad day this morning. Guess what? They might not get the greatest perspective of your office, things to that degree, or their traits may not come out. Right. So we used to just kind of, you know, throw things and see what stuck, right? I mean, unfortunately, there's really no other way. Sure, you go through and do some of these little kind of tests and say, hey, team, department, take out this individual. It's a great interaction, but it's still like personality matching. It's not really what you might need in areas that the, the department might be weaker. And how do we balance that out? So today, what we do is we actually use Culture Index in their full format, which um, we make individuals take um, the actual test, the survey, they take the survey before they're even interviewed. So for us, we've created a profile and a variance within that profile that we want to hire before we even put out the request for that position. Meaning we've taken into account the individuals they'll be working with, the um the person they'll be working directly for right and their department and how they're supposed to interact right what the job entails right and those what we do is we take a little survey on the side and the survey helps us build a profile it doesn't just say hey i want high energy i want this or i want that it's not like that you actually have to answer the questions that culture index provides for you so that then you create this profile then people apply by doing taking that survey and we may have, you know, an application process for a new assistant. We get 120 applicants, but we don't interview somebody if they're not at least 80% of that original created profile. So they have to be within that variant. What it really does is it takes away the ones who are just going to come in gregarious, excited, and they're going to be here three months and they're not a good fit because they're not a balance of what we need, right? It's not all about experience. And I think that's the problem is before we mostly were like, great, what's your experience? Okay, sounds good, you're hired. Here it's like, great, experience for what we need, but do you fit the team? And once we've done that, we bring them in, then we can do a working interview, see if there's a pure cultural fit at that point in time. And um, and if they're a good balance and, and whether they wanna pick us too, right? Um, so we'll actually go over their culture index when they come in. That usually blows a lot of people away because they're like, wow, you care about me, not just the job I'm supposed to fill. And so that's what really has transformed it for us. Wow. So how have you seen um, changes in like the amount of burnout and turnover within your respective team? Because those are the, you know, obviously everyone knows how expensive like turnover and the hiring processes in regards to training, in regards to salary, in regards to recruiting, in regards to all the expenses, right? Um, also emotionally taxing and very stressful for the team because it involves a lot of training on that end too. So like, how have you seen that impact that turnover and the burnout on your team? I think the biggest thing is what you just hit, which is like, Hey, by the way, you're here at the office and you know, you have a busy schedule. And by the way, I'm giving you someone in the operatory next to you who's brand new. Can you make sure you oversee them and coach them? And it's like, Oh, okay. You know, it's, it is very taxing and turnover is hard for all of us, especially right now in the industry. It's so common. Um, And I think one of the biggest things that it did was these individuals that showed up were filling a void 
that needed to be filled. It was a set of traits that for some reason we all wanted, we wanted to pursue. We wanted to find somebody who was maybe a little more extroverted than some of the people on the team were right now. And they're helping fill that void. And it's almost like you have the terminology and you're prepped when you're told this person's already more energetic than you already more this, but struggles on the details. We got to double check the notes or we got to double check, you know, so you know so much more about this person then it's almost like reading their tea leaves and kind of knowing before they even show up, you kind of feel like they've been here a little while. Because how long does it take most of us to really get to know somebody, at least at the level that we're talking about that is given to us on this information. Mm -hmm. And so it gives the team kind of a little bit of peace and say, hey, we put a lot of work into getting it here. Um, But I'll tell you this, the cost of recruitment and development and onboarding um, is really, really difficult. And I think for most businesses to survive these days, And so if we don't focus on doing this right and slowing down and taking the time to get to know them, um, every person who's leading a department or every department head or individual within that department has access to each other's profiles. So we know how to talk to each other. We know how, where we're going to struggle, where we're not going to struggle, where we're going to be excellent. And we can rely on you to do that. That gives a little bit of air to breathe. And I think that's been the biggest difference that I've noticed on the team where they just get excited and, hey, it's going to be a lot easier than it used to be, right? Um, and it made a, a drastic change for us. We just a whole lot less turnover and just more consistency, right? Our turnover tends to be related to normal life stuff, like life change, somebody moves, something happened, these types of things, as opposed to, well, oh, they were the wrong person from the start. Well, that's gone. And that's the biggest plus. That alleviates a huge problem and a lot of stress because it really sucks to go through all of that and then realize that on the back end or like need that six months of experience with this person prior to really knowing their strengths and weaknesses and how to troubleshoot and all these intricacies, you know, Um, in regards to when you have your team retest either annually or like biannually, however frequently it is, how have you seen the, the burnout or those energy units kind of match up more? Like, have you, have you seen significant changes in looking at that and being able to read that and say, okay, extroverted, you're burning out because you're in this introverted position or vice versa and so on and so forth? Right. Well, the most common thing we see is, is that we, like a lot of practices, have a pipeline. A mm-hmm. great example is like when you're an administrative upfront position, right? So you're coming in and, hey, you're a greeter. And then you could grow to become checkout person and grow to be, eventually become a treatment coordinator. And this, and you go down phones or what, you know, you're going down this line and most of us get driven based on the fact that, oh, I get paid more if I do that job. And therefore I shoot for that job. When in reality, that job may not be the job that's really best for you. Treatment coordinators have to be able to connect on a personal social aspect because they have to be able to have the hard conversation, the financial conversation, the timing conversation. When are you getting this carried on? How is this getting done? That whole process. Um, and and it, it's almost like, I can't tell you how many I see where their energy units were great, wonderful, and they were great in alignment. They were loving their job. And then we moved them up to this position where all of a sudden we killed them. Like their social aspects went crazy. Their energy units were way higher. They were burning out and we saw it, right? Case acceptance was great and high initially because it's like, oh, new job, I'm going to make it happen. But then it continues to teeter down, right? And so we have to realize that sometimes it's our fault that we put people in the wrong place to succeed. And we have to kind of slow down and say, well, actually this tells us. And the greatest thing for me is to look at somebody and say, that job actually requires a lot of personal touch interaction where this individual has to, it's not just like, okay, that's going to be this amount. You're checking somebody out or even phones is different socially than face-to-face talking to somebody about, I'm going to charge you $20,000. How would you like to pay for that? That is even a higher level of social aspect. And I, I, people don't think of it that way, but that's the reality of it. So we, it's our job to make sure that people are in a place to succeed. And the energy units show us that most clearly on an annual basis. And sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we've moved people and like, oh my goodness, look. And they're just showing up to work, loving it. They're getting more done than they ever have. And then sometimes we've said, oh, you're excited about that. Sounds good. Let's move you in and realize, why did we do that? Yeah. And unfortunately for a big portion of our practices, you can't actually bring somebody back down, right? And, yeah. and that we end up losing that person. And whose fault was it that they left the company? It's, it's actually ours because we allowed them to move into a position that they weren't going to be successful at. Right. Yeah. So. yeah. 
That's a tough thing. I mean, and it's, it's specific, it's so specific and so nuanced. And I guess there's learning to be had in all of those situations. But so one thing that I know comes into play for me when I think about this kind of being known by my employer is fear. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I think that there's a level of needing to alleviate some reservations people may have about taking this. And, and, you know, just as a, an under note or like some background, I'm not here to plug culture index. Um, we're not sponsored by culture index. This is completely like, we just really appreciate and use these tools within our respective practices. And I think that they've helped us to evolve at Smodak Demo Group. I know that you've been using it for so long. There's so many people who do a great job organizationally who, who have been using it for a long time. So I want to put that out there, but I think that in regards to implementing this, for me, or a person with like a more anxious attachment style or who is less logical and more emotional, yeah, it's like that being known comes with the fear of like, oh my God, am I going to get fired? Am I going to, you know, am I going to be behind? Am I going to not be the right fit? Am I going to not be the right whatever? Like how can you alleviate some of those fears for someone who's more like me? If, if your employer uses culture index as a weapon, then you don't want to work for that employer anyway. And it shows you a deeper level of who it is that that person's trying to be or how they're trying to control the situation. I think a lot of the training at Culture Index does is you, the goal is to de-weaponize it right off the bat. Usually the first meeting with your team is, is like, these are all the amazing traits about being here and being there. Really, there's no bad traits, right? We could not do high quality healthcare without heartfelt individuals like you or I. The truth is, is we're the ones who hold people accountable to the loyalty and the expectation like, hey, something went wrong in healthcare with this person, the implant failed, stand by it, get it done. Like we're the ones who actually carry literally the heart of the practice, right? When the others are like, let's keep the momentum moving. Let's keep, let's keep an eye on, you know, the KPIs, keep an eye on these other things. There's a balance in there and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm with you in the sense that it's very vulnerable, right? It throws you out there in a way that's just kind of like, it is what it is. Now, in my opinion, all of us have a hard time actually being seen because it tells others a little bit about what's going on in our head that's not necessarily coming out of our mouth. But at the end of the day, the most powerful thing is, is that we have to be able to be vulnerable in a way that allows others to recognize who we are and believe that we're going to stay in the categories that we need to stay in. And you've got to be responsible for your part. I've got to be responsible for my part. Okay. Because if not, you're seen as the person who's like, oh, you're just irresponsible about this detail thing, or you're just irresponsible about that. And the truth is, is a lot of people don't understand how the irresponsibility of one becomes the responsibility of another. Right. So like if my, my irresponsibility is just kind of like, Hey, I, I don't want to deal with it or I don't want to tackle it. Well, guess what? Someone has to clean that up. Right. And when the day almost, you hear this every day, the day is like, it's too long. I just, I, I can't get everything done in one day. It's because the team is not working on all cylinders in their own lanes, right? They're all jumping into different lanes and they're creating a cluster of a problem. Why are there this many people's hands on my patient? Right get off my schedule, get off of this, get off. Like we each have a lane, we've got to do it. In order to give that level of care and understand it at a group level, that's really what this is all about. Um, there's never been a scenario where I've looked at somebody's profile and be like, you got to fire on it, right? Um, what you need to do is certain profile types need a certain amount of care to support them. Just like a super high logic needs someone to be like, hey, by the way, there's this thing inside of you that's a heart. And you need to be able to like focus on it because we, the people you're serving have those things and you need to be able to connect in order for those patients, because high logic people don't build a lot of loyalty. They just don't right. Lower logic. People have all the heart. They build all the loyalty and the big following. Guess what? Their schedules get filled up like that because everybody wants to see us. There's this true balance that you've got to figure out. And although they can be in extremes, got to be really, really careful. It's like society expects us to be super driven, super extroverted, right? Like Craig, trailblazer, right? Super driven. Sometimes when they're that extroverted, extroversion is not just a leading cause for quote, as people say success, but they say it actually can come off superficial. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're like, shoot, I don't believe a word that person says because they're so superficial because they're so extroverted and so high energy that you're like, I, I, I just can't actually trust that person. Wow. Right. It took us all the way down to trust. Right. Yeah. So for me, it's about learning about myself. And then learning about the people that I'm here to serve. And that is anybody I interact with. 
whether it's my yeah. kids, my spouse, or the people I interact with on a daily basis. It's not just because I'm an owner or a doctor or whatever. No, we're here to serve the people that are put into our lives every day. What does that look like? It, it looks like the fact that I have to understand myself and what I'm good at, what I'm not. While at the same time, someone else needs to be able to balance out and we need to support them. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, so for me, looking at other people's culture indexes has provided a lot more trust for me personally, because even just what you just described about Dr. Craig, like a visionary, he's an incredible person, incredible leader. He's got all that autonomy. He's got all that social. He's got the quick pace and the low detail, you know, but like me seeing that on paper, like to him, it naturally, it comes naturally for him to go where he wants to go, do what he wants to do, say, this is where we're heading and so on and so forth. And then use his social ability in order to get there. That feel bad to someone like me, who's like a hyper loyal person, who's hyper detail oriented, who's hyper, you know, like we're similar, but different. And it, it actually created trust within our relationship for me to see that of him on paper, because I'm like, Oh, that's who he, that's who he is. He's being his authentic self and being that way. Right. He created like a different sort of dynamic for me. And it was very helpful. You know, that's, that's one of the ways that I think it's alleviated some stress. And it gives you the words to describe it. None of us would stop here and be like, if we didn't have culture index, it'd be like, I see your high autonomy. I see your, you know, your driver forces. I see your lower detail, your conformity, your energy units, you know, all these things. Like I'm often, so I'm an extreme on energy units, right? So I'm a 72 energy units, right? It's more than three times what's normal for an American. Well, guess what? I can't turn it off. My wife will be like, Hey, bye. I'm going to bed. Go, go, go forth and do, but don't bother me. Right. She's tapping out. So it's kind of one of those things. Like at the end of the day, we have to learn how to serve each other. What other purpose do we have? And this is what makes healthcare possible, right? Um, that, that book, if Disney ran your hospital, the whole point was that it was a study based on the success of a hospital in regards to the way the patient felt that it happened. They had cardiothoracic surgery, a heart, something, whatever. If they had a surgery, they did not relate it. The literature shows it did not relate to the fact that the surgery went well, or they didn't have complications or pain. It actually was related to the interactions between the doctor and the nurse and the PA and how they, if they fought, that individual patient did not believe that their healthcare was in the right place and that this surgery was going to come out well. So anything that went wrong, they're like, see, I knew it was going to happen wrong. I knew it. But when people are cordial and support and respect each other and they know each other and how to respect it and take care of each other, then healthcare gets better. And so it kind of floats all ships in that mindset. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. And what I love about that book, I've never read it, but from what I hear about it, what I know of it, like it's all the data on emotional intelligence. Yeah. So all the data on emotions and perception. Go figure. Yeah. It's it's right down your heart alley. And that's exactly what it is. Like we can't expect people to want to be around us and not care about us. That's you and I, right? Other people are just like, hey, I'm here to work. I do my job. I'm in, I'm out. I'm like, that's just not like, why would I would have worked there, right? Why would we want to do this? Half the reason why we're on this call is because we care about what other people are, how they're going to interact and how they're going to hear this information and take forth and use it. It, It's a totally different world, right? So... So I think I I want to wrap up kind of with this thought. So Sharice and I recently did a podcast on mental health for dental professionals. And of course, it's very relevant in our profession, given like the high rates of depression, um, anxiety, suicide, all the things that we know to be like a lot of us know firsthand people within our profession struggle with these things. Um, So I want to ask, how do you think that culture index or bringing on this level of self-knowledge can potentially improve our mental health? I think first and foremost, being told that these are your natural traits and this is who you are and not being told that you have to be anybody else, I think is the most powerful thing someone can get. When we sit in front of somebody and be like, you got a beautiful profile, which by the way, is every profile. The question is, is, do you accept to be who you naturally are? Or are you allowing other people in your life, whether it's your work environment or even your own spouse or your own people you interact with on a daily basis, forcing you to become somebody you're not? Um, I was raised by a childhood adolescent psychiatrist. And these types of conversations were super com- typical throughout. You know, we, we dealt with a lot of things, seeing other people struggle through many things. And one of the things that I really 
uh, tethered onto was knowing myself and knowing that I'm okay. I'm allowed to be exactly who I am, what this tells me to be. And I get to fight for that. That's the first piece. The second piece is that other people know who I am. I don't have to walk in and be like, hey, here's my CI, just FYI, just be prepped. They, they know and they respect that. And anybody who's a, any, in charge of anybody else in my ecosystem is required to have a binder of all those individuals that they're responsible for. They're in their charge of their CIs because their job is to, somebody walks in and wants to have a talk with them, they better say, yeah, sounds good. Give me a minute. Let me read through your CI. And then I'm going to respond and respect you the way you deserve to be cared for. So I think there's a balance between how other others see us and actually see us. We actually can be seen. The last part of it is, is the truth is that CI does dig deep. It tells us a lot of information. And it not only tells us who we are and who we need to be, but it also helps us understand that, for example, you and I being on a lower logic scale, if for any reason we get into a difficult situation, right? It wasn't too long ago that I had you know, a, our, our first son. I'd lost my first son. Um, in utero at really late and we had to deliver and go through it. It was really, really difficult for a lot of us, but it's hard to, for someone who's low logic to use logic to get them out of that hole, that depressive tendency hole, right? So it gives us at least language. And, and it's kind of like, we're thinking about the CI. We're like, wow, I'm over here and I know I'm bad at finding logic. I need other people, right? Brittany and I could call each other and be like, I'm really struggling. And you could actually talk to me really well because you're like, hey, I'm doing okay. I hear you. I see what you, and I know because your heart would be in the conversation. What I can't do is bring a high logic person into my life and be like, just pull me out with a bunch of logic because it, it's not the same language, right? So I would say that this is critical. And I, I can tell you most times we bring this in to practices or we coach on this stuff with the mastermind or things like that with Bulletproof. One of the things that it turns into is, can you do this with me and my wife? Can you do this with like, is it a spouse thing? Why? Because I want to be able to talk better and communicate better. Um, And I think this is where we can talk to ourselves and we can talk to others and those who are most important to us at a very literal understanding of who we are and what our traits are and just be vulnerable with each other. And that solves a lot of the psychosocial psychosomatic problems that we end up in. And we just got it. We need the vulnerability to do that. This at least gives us the language to do it. Right. Right. I really, well, I really appreciate you being here with me and for all your insight and sharing all your experience um, on the podcast um, in regards to this. I just think, you know, I probably because I'm lower on the, on the L's, sorry. And, and you're lower on the L's, but it's just so near and dear to my heart to really understand people on this level and really be able to implement that in, in our teams every day. So it's great to hear how well it's working for you and some of the um, things that maybe haven't worked so well and how people can apply this to their own lives and relationships and practices. And, and thanks to everyone who's listening for being here once again. Um, hope you've had a great week. Hope to see you next week. And um, if you want to connect with us further, you can go to uh, Ma- uh, Mighty Network. You can download the app and search Bulletproof Hygiene or Bulletproof Dental Practice. Um, we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.